0: Where there is no water I've seen you in the sanctuary And beheld your power and your glory Because your love is better than life My lips will glorify you I will praise you as long as I live And in your name I will lift up my hands I will be fully satisfied As with the riches of food With singing lips my mouth will praise you On my bed I remember you I think of you through the watches of the night Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who are saved by God will glory in him. While the mouths of liars will be silenced.
1: Well, God is so good, isn't He? Even in the midst of suffering and trauma, and more often than not, especially in the midst of suffering and uh, trauma. Uh, As Nathaniel said, it was uh, quite a surprise to both of us, a humbling surprise on Friday when uh, uh, Nathaniel saw the the change in our preaching roster from Ecclesiastes to Psalm 63 and he came in and he said, you're not going to believe this, that's what I'm preaching on Sunday night. Uh, What an amazing thing. Um, God's been at work for a while with this because uh, Psalm 63 was one of the Psalms preached at our Reach Out Missions Conference uh, several weeks ago by Simon and he, he preached this in relation to mission. So you can get the recording online if you want to go and check it out. It's amazing uh, how, how he did that and it's a wonderful psalm. And while he was preaching on mission, I was sitting there going, this is an awesome psalm. And I was sort of making notes about um, some other stuff as, as well as obviously mission. Um, and then it dawned uh, on me when I was thinking and prayerfully praying, that's the only prayer you can do, isn't it? Prayerfully praying. Um, about what to share with Maury Baptist Church. And I thought, oh, this would be a great psalm. So uh, I, um, I felt the Lord leading us to that last Sunday and then driving back, it all sort of clicked last weekend, end of uh, Sunday night. I thought, wow, maybe that's what we should do, have a break from Ecclesiastes and have a look at Psalm 63 together. So um, it's not obviously the same as I have preached at Moree, um, but obviously God is wanting to speak to us, isn't he, through this psalm. And uh, it's great to know Church at Five will be blessed uh, by those words as well this evening. Well, one thing is certain in life um, that if you live long enough, we're going to experience trauma and hardship and challenging, difficult situations. We're going to hit tough times. That's just life in this fallen world. Sooner or later, even those who spend entire fortunes trying to protect themselves from trauma, discomfort and suffering, One way or another, we'll experience it. And of course, the question for us as God's people is, often asked of us, isn't it? Uh, how, How do you respond to that? How do you, as God's people, who declare how wonderful this God is, how powerful he is, you're the ones that say he's good and he's loving and good to his people and full of grace and mercy and compassion, and yet you too go through trauma, just like the rest of us. How do we, as Christian people, respond? What are we supposed to do when we go through tough times in our lives? How do we respond to those situations like what we've gone through uh, in a very concerted way over this past week? Um, But what about in other situations in everyday life that we go through? Situations that leave us confused, situations that leave us doubtful or uncertain or even threatened. Well, um, we've heard story after story, account after account, tragedy after tragedy... This past week, with the ravages of these fires uh, that have ripped through parts of this region, I've spoken to some people who have been here for generations and they said they've never experiencing, experienced something of this sort of intensity and, and the, the, the breadth of it uh, in that time that they can remember. Um, we've been seriously affected as we've, as we've looked at. And uh, what do we make of that? How do you and I respond? Well, many of us rise to the occasion... And with each of those stories, we've heard some other ones of wonderful human um, generosity and hospitality and um, human support of each other. Most people have done amazing things through all of this, Uh, opening their homes, putting one another up for however long it takes uh, to feel safe enough to return home. People have cooked meals and will continue to do this. It doesn't stop now. Uh, Contribute groceries. Um, You know, we've had all sorts of convoys promised and delivered. and some not delivered, but promised. Uh, it's another story for another time. Deacons meeting, I guess. Um, uh, come up to this area and, and quite literally flood the area. Um, they don't need any more clothes or nappies. Um, they need other things now. But we've been really well looked after and supported by some amazing feats that people have offered. Um, people have offered their properties that haven't been scorched for those that need to house their, 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 their livestock somewhere. Um, you don't house livestock, do you? No, you don't house them. You put them in a, pro- in a, in a property anyway. I'm no farmer. Um, <laughs> there have been many others that have fought not only for their own property, but they've fought for their neighbours' property and perhaps neighbours they hadn't yet quite really met. They've really pulled together in most remarkable ways, rallying together and working tirelessly. There's been remarkable human effort. Uh, often given at great personal cost. And that's a wonderful thing to see. That's one way to respond. It's the natural human way to respond, really. Uh, Surely to care is to be human. Um, But other people, of course, haven't been very helpful at all. They've been far less helpful. Just have a think about some of the things we've heard this week. Uh, People have been burdensome to emergency services. They've not complied with certain roadblocks and things. You hear stories of RFS firefighters being absolutely verbally abused at roadblocks, Police as well. Um, staggering. Um, I know two known local arsonists, uh, one even came up from the city, was, was well known, just to sort of get amongst it, see what destruction's happening and how they might contribute. They've been arrested for suspicious behaviour and just because of their reputation. Um, police have caught others from looting. You know, they go into one street and evacuate it. They almost only need to wait 30 minutes or an hour around the corner and go back around the street, and there's people wandering around, looking in sheds and poking around and, and seeing what they, can, what they can take. Disgusting behaviour, really, low-life behaviour, even though the overwhelming majority have stepped up and been wonderful. As they say, we see the best and the worst, don't we, of humanity in these times. And so we gather together as God's people, as Christian people, because that's who we are. And we come to hear from God in the midst of this. We come to hear from his word. How might we respond Uh, to all these both brave heroism, uh, the the calamity and the trauma that we're experiencing. Well, I think God's word is always the greatest source of comfort and that's why we go there. Um, Can I say if you're visiting today and you're here for whatever reason, we're really glad that you are here. And uh, obviously if you're a a Christian person then you've got instant connection here. If you're not someone who declares to have faith but you're here, we are so glad that you're here. This is really important Uh, and I'm I'm glad there's no accident as to why the Lord brings people uh, to places like this where his people gather. So we're glad that you are here this morning. Many of the Psalms in the Bible, there's 150 of them, but many of them are actually uh, laments, over half. They're writings from people who, have, who are absolutely at rock bottom. They're at their wit's end with something that's happened in life. There's a whole lot of despair and discomfort uh, that life has served up to them. And Psalm 63 is, in parts at least, one of those Psalms. Um, This morning we'll hear from one of the greatest uh, men who ever lived. King David wrote this psalm and how he found himself quite uh, literally in in both a literal wilderness and a spiritual wilderness and he needed to seek God and once again find joy in him and declare knowing uh, God. So Psalm 63 is a psalm of David, we're told, and he's writing this from an experience in a desert, the desert of Judah. Um, King David is a man well known to most of us. If you've been around churches for any length of time or in Sunday school, you'll remember King David. Um, In fact, he's often seen uh, as second to Jesus as the greatest king of Israel. Um, He was a king, he was a poet, he was a warrior. He was a man who was promised that the Messiah himself would come through his uh, genealogy, through his line um, and God made that promise to him. Um, And of course, we know that through his line, the Messiah did come. Jesus of Nazareth was born in the line of King David. And that promise that God made all those centuries earlier was fulfilled. Um, There's a big difference, of course, but uh, between David and Jesus, King David and King Jesus. um, In fact, it's enormous. David was far from perfect, despite being declared as one of the greatest, or as the greatest king of Israel at the time. In fact, his life was riddled with dysfunction, uh, with sin, with selfishness, with abuses of power. Uh, And yet, all those things that he had been involved with, he was still declared of him to be a man after God's own heart. Isn't that remarkable? That's how he will be remembered as King David, a man after God's own heart. And yet he was the worst of sinners. I think it's great encouragement. I've always found great encouragement from the reality of many of our Bible heroes that we've often put up on pedestals and forgotten just how bad... They can be and have been. So even as an imperfect, dysfunctional sinner, David is still acknowledged as a person who is passionate about God and seeking to know him and to enjoy him. David gives us this wonderful example of how we can continue to follow the real king, the greatest king. King Jesus today. A little bit of background, Um, Psalm 63 was most likely written during the time when King David was forced to flee Jerusalem. So picture it, this most powerful king in this enormous palace, um, palatial luxury, living there in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel at the time. And this was all because of a family rift. His son Absalom had conspired with others in leadership and it turned turned out that he actually switched the hearts and the loyalties of many in David's cohort and so david suddenly realized that he was no longer in a position of authority and power because of the threats of his son and so he left with just a few faithful loyal men that went with him into the wilderness and this isn't the first time it's happened in his life it was most likely the second and so psalm 63 is david literally written um, writing this while he's uh, in the deserts of judah when he's at the, one of the lowest points in his life. I mean, it doesn't get much worse, does it, than being dethroned, uh, not only dethroned by an enemy, but that enemy being your own son. And not only that, not only has he dethroned you and been satisfied with that by dad, king dad, you know, he's actually pursuing to hunt David and to destroy him. That's what you do. You obliterate any threat of the person you've dethroned coming back. Absalom's hunting down his own father. I know many of us have strained relationships, father-son relationships. But can you imagine that sort, of, that sort of tension that David's experiencing? And so David knows exactly what a parched, dry land looks like. Um, you can imagine how distant he's feeling from God at this time. What is going on? I'm the king. I've left this palatial luxury in Jerusalem and my son's out to kill me and I've got nothing but a handful of friends and I'm stuck in the desert of Judah. He's desperately crying out. And there are three things that we can get from this psalm that David cries out and declares about his God. The first one we spend most of the time on and the second two will be quite quick. The first one is David declaring that God is his heart's desire. First one, he says, You, God, this is such a powerful few words. You, God, are my God. You, God, are my God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. The first thing David does in those first few verses is acknowledge the one true living God, that he is the only God, you God. It's a declaration of an absolute God. He acknowledges that he's the one true God, but not only that, he acknowledges that this is a personally known God. You, God, are my God. You God the greatest are my God. This is someone who's already given their life to God. They have a relationship with God already and, and and yet he did and he deeply desires to experience this same God in an even greater and more deeper way. The all-powerful creator can be known personally and intimately. That's what sets Christianity apart from any other religion. He's made us that way. He, he's the creator, right? He created us for connection and relationship and intimacy and personal relationship with himself and for those of us who know him like David did there's always going to be more to learn about God even and especially in tough times always more to love about him always more to respond uh, to with him you know many of us are fully aware of what's missing in our lives aren't we Uh, many people are there's a hole in our hearts that we all spend so much time to try and fill We fill these needs and this hole with all kinds of things and experiences. And yet, if we're honest and truthful, they never really satisfy us. It's a relentless pursuit, as we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, through the book of Ecclesiastes. And even if we do discover things that satisfy, or experiences that satisfy, and they only do it for a moment, might be a long moment, but it only takes some kind of disaster to take them away from us, doesn't it? Like, I don't know, a ravaging fire perhaps a flood any number of other things a business deal gone wrong and pretty quickly we realize these things don't satisfy we need something else and we've we've been reflecting on that haven't we through the book of ecclesiastes people searching in all the wrong places rather than fairly and squarely in the person and presence of the god who created them the god who loves them and the god who longs relationship with them The truth is, of course, that we can't actually seek God truly and pursue him without him first being at work in our hearts. And he is ready and he is willing, he is able, he's done it, he is keen to flick that switch and to begin a work in us. Well, don't give up longing for God. If you're someone here as a Christian and you have faith and you know God and you're sitting here wondering where on earth he is or he doesn't seem as real, can I encourage you with this quote from Tim Keller? He says this, He says you can know if you've encountered the real God if you're deeply hungry and thirsty for him. And then he says this, he goes, the sense of God's absence, the dissatisfaction with his absence is an evidence that he has actually touched you. Isn't that wonderful? The fact that you feel a sense of emptiness, of despair as David did where he's crying out to this God is actually evidence that you know God, that you know that he should be there more so and that there is a distance And that he has touched you so don't give up longing for god don't give up crying out to him don't despair in tough times because when he is distant or absent and we do cry out to him that is when we get to declare not only that he is the one and only true god but that he is our god your god my god well there are um, four quick things that david bases this on too by the way this isn't just an idea in his head this isn't just a voice he's heard in his head he thinks god's told him something This is something far more profound. Have a look as the psalm continues through from verse 2. The first thing he bases this declaration on is his past experience of God. He has history with God. Verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. This is past tense. I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory glory this is david thinking out of his predicament and his current situation thinking back to the times when he has seen and experienced god in powerful ways he's taking his mind above the situation outside of it beyond the fact that his son is hunting him down and he reflects on the holiness and the beauty of god in his sanctuary i don't know if you've ever experienced that i know many have it's why you're back here and part of god's family here in this place we've experienced the power and glory and beauty of God. And we need to hold on to that and ask him to strike us afresh with that. And for those this morning who perhaps have no memory of that or aren't sure if they have experienced the greatness of God or have seen his love and power, can I encourage you to take the time to reflect, to look back, to ask him to reveal to you where he has shown you his power, his love and his glory. And it's most often than than, than otherwise, it's in the still small ways that has been faithful to you. We really need to count our blessings in our lives and take the time to focus on what God has done for us, what we do have. Wasn't it great to hear various people respond to a great sense of loss during this past week with, yeah, but it's only stuff. I still have my spouse, I still have my family, I still have my life. It's counting blessings even in the midst of tough times. Well, the second thing that uh, David bases this declaration on is David has already made his priorities very, very clear about what he's going to do in life and who he's going to prioritise in life. Verse 3, he says, because your steadfast uh, steadfast love is better than life, my lips will glorify you or my lips will praise you. So why does he praise God? He praises God because he's realised that God's steadfast love that he knows is better than the air that he breathes and the life that he's been given or even the life that's been preserved for him so far the steadfast love of god is better than life itself what does that look like what does that look like for you and i today well i want to take us to the new testament we look at the apostle paul he's one that knew exactly what it meant to have prioritized god in this way to have said that you got are better than life itself no matter what i'm going to get and what i'm going to collect earn make set up for myself or experience all that is rubbish compared to the greatness of knowing God through Jesus Christ. This isn't just a tacked-on option. This is something that is actually better than life. He says, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or Or by death. And then that famous line, we should all know this one For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's Paul's perspective on life. That's someone just like David who has a very clear priority and knows that God's steadfast love is better than life. You know, he goes on, he says, But in the meantime, because I'm still here with you and I haven't died yet, well, what else am I going to live for than proclaiming Christ and living him out? amongst you i'm here for your benefit that's how paul puts it but give me the choice i'm dying any day i'm going to go with christ what an amazing priority well the third thing that david bases this declaration on is his lifelong commitment this isn't just something he's thought up recently or something he's found through some experience or some book and got excited about until the next one this is what he says in verse four i will praise you as long as i live and in your name i will lift up my hands it's got nothing to do with things, has it, or experiences. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. He's not waiting around to evaluate how his life turns out. He's not there holding up a set of scales and going, Well, I'll just wait and see. I know this about God, but uh, I'll see how things work out in my life. You know, hedging his bets. How many of us have done that, perhaps are doing that, know people who do that? Hedging our bets when it comes to God and, and how committed we're going to be to him it's like keeping one foot in, one foot out just in case, just in case things go bad just in case God doesn't actually come through in the way we think he should or in the way we had hoped or the way we thought he would maybe God will let me down and he won't fix things the way I wanted them fixed. so I'll just hang back, I'll just wait and see be only quarter or half committed to him until he comes through for me on my terms. Well, David here in the psalm teaches us an entirely different view, doesn't he? he? He has, he comes into this relationship 100% all out for his God. 100% all out for God. And his commitment to God is lifelong. Well, the fourth reason he's able to praise God in this way is because he has this joyful anticipation in verse 5. He says, "...I will be fully satisfied with all the riches of, with the richest of foods." With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. He, he anticipates the joy that he will get from this relationship with God, this knowing God. I've got to say, last Sunday, and you can probably tell, uh, we had some amazing meals with the church at Maury Baptist Church. And I heard about it from the team when they were up there in June, and I certainly got to experience it. I've never had a three-course breakfast before. Uh, LAUGHTER and I should never have one again. Um, Yeah, so it was pretty full on. And that was just the men's breakfast, you know, and then we had the church lunch afterwards and um, thankfully that was a lot more salads and cold meat so I didn't have to drive back on too full of stomach. But you know know what it's like when you've had a satisfying meal, like a three-course breakfast, for example, that ends with waffles. Anyway... um, (laughs) You know that feeling. I'm not talking about the one where you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. What did I do that for? That was far too much. What a guts. You know, not that feeling. The one where you've actually stopped in time, pulled up and appreciated what you've just had. That really satisfying, complete meal. Well, David says here that just that same feeling is what he gets from worshipping and praising his God from worshipping and praising his God. He anticipates that. God doesn't leave us empty-handed. He doesn't leave us hungering for more. But rather, we can know his joy. We can know his love in all circumstances, no matter how good and no matter how bad things can get. Well, getting back to the the focus of the psalm, the second thing that uh, that, that David here continues um, to praise God for And to focus on is, he makes this declaration that God is his soul's delight. From verses six to eight, he says, "On my bed I remember you; I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you; your right hand it upholds me." Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, had that feeling in in the middle of the night where you're tossing and turning, you're despairing, your mind's going around in circles. It's just this repeating loop, and you're in that half sleep, but you know you're not sleeping because you're mindful of the time ticking by. It's horrible, isn't it? Hour upon hour sometimes, thinking over things, stewing on things, and then, of course, the day comes and the week happens and none of it actually happens, but you've lost the sleep anyway. Well, this is what we see King David doing in these verses, but with a big difference. Despite the slow night passing by, he spends his time not focused on his present struggles, but rather on the goodness of the Lord. He meditates on the Lord day and night, and he remembers all the times the Lord has helped him and seen him through tough times of adversity. That's what he's doing in the still of the night. And just as this desert situation he finds himself in has increased his longing for the Lord, so too this long night increases his longing and his sincerity his, his sincerity to seek out God. He clings to the shelter of the Lord and in doing so he, mu- he finds much delight. Now it's so easy, isn't it, to, to focus on the attempts the evil one has to derail us or to see bad things as the direct work of the evil one who's, who's trying to derail us and, and threaten our relationship with God and that may well be the case but that's not where our focus is. Our focus isn't on what our enemy's doing. Our focus is on what God has done and what God will continue to do and that truly gives us a sense So God is our soul's desire, he's our soul's delight, and lastly, he is ours and David's total defence. Verses 9 to 11, we come back to the end of the psalm, and the focus as we close here goes to David's present struggle. And it's his faith that the Lord will see him through this struggle, that he won't be forever lost and wandering and hiding in the wilderness of Judah. But that God will come through and vindicate him. And this is another bold declaration that despite all these things, God is good for it. God is good to his word and he fulfills it. And what he says happens will happen. uh, David says here, those who want to kill me will be destroyed and they will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and they'll become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. You know, those who try to destroy us, who try to destroy God's people, will actually completely be destroyed themselves. It's a very dangerous thing to take on. It's a very arrogant thing to take on. The reality is, in this circumstance, that's what happened to Absalom. It's exactly what happened to him. Absalom, this was his fate. It was the fate of Absalom And it's the fate of all those who set themselves up as enemies of the living god it may look like they thrive and they've won and they've prospered but in the end they get it and god is just and he's merciful in that justice and he will not be mocked you know for us in our time this morning uh, in our space in history who are our enemies well we're not being hunted down and killed by a family member i certainly hope that's not the case but Often it's not so much a a people or a person or a people group or certainly shouldn't be if we're Christians and seeking first God's kingdom. We love our enemies and we pray for those who even persecute us. But there are many other enemies, aren't there, that, that threaten our faith, that threaten us quite literally, physically, but also that threaten us emotionally and spiritually and in many other ways. And for our brothers and sisters at Moree, it was, and it still is this long-term drought. This is a tragedy that's long-term. Um, they were in a much more positive, happier space, I felt, on the weekend than how the team had reported they were back in June. Nothing's changed. It's just as dry out there. But they have come to a, perhaps a point of resignation that we only have God and we continue to worship and meet and praise him. And their worship was just beautiful. Uh, their singing was just from the heart as they sung together, and they know it'll rain again. They often said it, oh, it'll rain. Yeah, it always will. It always does. And we continue to pray, we continue to wait, and we continue to trust. It's that long-term picture, isn't it, of our Lord and what he's capable of. And the reality is these things, whether it's drought or horrific fires, they will be destroyed There is a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth that is promised by God that is coming in Jesus Christ and will be realised here once and for all. And we're either in that new creation with God, through faith with Jesus, or we're not. But that's the hope that we live for. And in the meantime, God is our defence against those things that threaten that. Those things that threaten to destroy David says here that he will rejoice in God and he will glorify him in the meantime, knowing full well that those threats will be silenced, that those threats will be extinguished and they will be no more. You know, the good news about our God is that he's not just a loving God, he's also a just God. And David knew his calling as a king was a calling and it wasn't something any human power or ambitious son could take away from him. Uh, or destroy and that's the same with our calling as men and women today as sons and daughters princes and princesses of King Jesus and his kingdom that's our calling as men and women who serve the Lord Jesus Christ we have been called into a kingdom and it's a calling that can never be taken away because it's a kingdom established on Jesus Christ his eternal victory over sin over death over every calamity his glorious resurrection witnessed to by eyewitnesses and his promise that he will return in the same way he left. That can never be taken away. That's what our kingdom is established upon. That's who rules and reigns this kingdom, King Jesus. And that's our calling. We've been called into that and we're a part of that. And no matter what circumstances come and happen and pop up in life, no matter what challenges we face or uncertainty that we might fear, jesus is still king his throne is an eternal one his throne has already conquered all his enemies and we await in this kind of horrible time really where we know it we declare it by faith we can experience it in part but it's not quite fully there and every now and then all these threats raise our ugly head and we're threatened to go oh is this real have i really been called into an eternal kingdom is jesus really still king Well the scriptures declare it time and time again, yes and absolutely. That is who he is, and that is who can we we can be in him. The reality is this that one day God will be putting everything wrong with this world completely right when King Jesus returns, and he will turn ashes into beauty, and he'll turn drought into lush green pastures again. He will turn our despair into triumph. And all of us who swear by God will glory in him, and all other threats will be silenced. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father, we declare in faith and trust that you are a great God, that you are our soul's desire, you are our soul's delight, and you are our soul's defence. Father, we thank you for this hope that transcends all circumstances, but not only that, it brings meaning to them. It can even force us and encourage us, perhaps challenge us, to see where you're at in these things. So give us eyes uh, to see what you wish to teach us, lessons that we may need to learn, changes of priorities in our lives or different things that may need tweaking. Father, we ask that you would bring us as your people um, to our knees in faith and in trust of you. We thank you for the privilege of uh, being called into your kingdom and that it's a... um, it's a kingdom of, of of people and community and i thank you for this community that you've called us into here in tari baptist church i thank you for the communities that you've called in uh, together with other churches in the manning valley here and uh, father for your people that gather in the name of jesus christ right around this state and this country and this world we thank you that we're a part of that and that that is a calling that is eternal and will be here forever We pray you'd give us um, your eyes, your uh, steadfast love that you've shown us. May we show that to each other, even to those who aren't deserving in our eyes. Um, Help us to do that so that people would see the uh, the love that you've shown us in Christ living in us and that they may come to see that and experience it for themselves. We thank you that you are our salvation, our hope, and you are our rock. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.